when I was in that hospital bed when I was 19, the doctor came up to me and was like, look, so CF has finally got you and you're going to die. You're going to die in a few years. And I kind of sat there and I kind of laughed at him. I was like, that's really nice and really naive of you because you don't know me at all. Genetics isn't always black and white. And the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. It seems like there are constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Gray Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor. On a recent podcast episode, I interviewed genetic counselor Christina Kresge, who shared her story of learning while she was pregnant for the first time that she was a carrier for cystic fibrosis. Christina's partner did not turn out to be a carrier for cystic fibrosis, so they were not at risk for having a child with cystic fibrosis. But I wanted to follow up on this very brief mention of cystic fibrosis by actually interviewing someone who was born with cystic fibrosis. And that's when I drew up my bucket list and started pushing myself through extreme challenges to challenge my mind and my body to prove that even with a condition that technically could kill me, I still can do more than the average person. Sophie Grace Holmes is a fitness model, a trainer, a massage therapist, and a motivational speaker. She also has the classic form of cystic fibrosis. I spoke with her from a coffee shop in London, so you'll hear a little bit of background noise during this interview. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. It's exciting. Where are you? I am currently in a coffee shop in Leon C in Essex, just outside of London. Cool. So to start with, what is cystic fibrosis? Okay, so cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease that you're born with. And basically, it requires your mum and dad to both carry the gene. It is also known as a progressive condition. Basically, what means is that your life expectancy is shorter. And statistically, they say that most people who die from cystic fibrosis are 28 years or younger, which is crazy because that is so young. But also, the life, average life expectancy is only still 41 years old, which is why I'm trying to work so hard to prove this wrong. Is that what got you into fitness? 100%. So basically, what cystic fibrosis is, it's a lung, predominantly a lung condition where the body produces extra mucus. And usually what you'll find as well is people with CF suffer with a digestive problem, which means your body does not produce digestive enzymes. So we have to take extra tablets to basically digest our food and get all the nutrients from them. And if we didn't take all the medications we have to take every single day, then our lives would be shorter. And to put it into perspective, I take about 80 a day. Oh, wow which is a bit crazy, really, and it takes up a fair bit of time. But, you know, I am a woman on a mission, so I get up, get it done, and then I can get on with my day. You were diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when you were four months old. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. What led to that diagnosis? So, basically, I was actually 10 weeks early, obviously eager for life. And, (laughs) you know, and... um, Basically, my mum actually had my two sisters who were also 10 weeks early. And so she was sent home with me and they kind of said to her, like, oh, you'll be fine. Like, you're used to premature babies, blah, blah, blah. But then four months in, I wasn't thriving. I wasn't putting on weight. I kept going blue, stopped breathing. And my mum was like, there is definitely something wrong. So after numerous times and going back to the hospital and them denying that, one of our friends who had a daughter with CF basically was my nurse. And 
she actually licked my skin because people with CF have salty skin, which most people don't realise. And um, she was like, I think she's got CF. So she got me tested and then obviously the test came back positive. So in theory, she actually saved my life. So today in the US, cystic fibrosis would usually be picked up on newborn screening. Do they have newborn screening in the UK? They do now, actually. But when I was born, it wasn't a routine test. So I'm so happy that now it is actually a routine test because then you can get treated straight away and actually, you know, you've got more of a chance of having a great life. Yeah. What were your parents initially told? So after the skin lick, (laughs) what kind of follow-up testing did you have done to confirm that you did have cystic fibrosis? So they followed up with a blood test to basically say yes or no. And at the time, my parents basically felt that they were bringing up a baby to die because they were told, look, you know, she's got cystic fibrosis and she probably won't make her teenage years. So, you know, make the most of what you've got kind of thing. And obviously that's absolutely devastating to a new to a parent, any parent really, kind of thinking I'm bringing up this child, but you know, she's not going to be here very long. And like, how, how do you even get your head around that? But they actually turned it into a, such a positive situation. And, you know, over the years, they've actually fundraised over £100,000 for the trust and, you know, met some of their best friends out of it. So it's funny how you can find yourself in such a negative situation, but actually come out on top. Yeah. They were told that they'd be raising a child to die, basically. What yeah. were they told your life expectancy would be? They just said, if she makes 16, then that's great. Oh, wow. But don't expect anything more than that, which, you know, I know, obviously, you have to tell people the blunt fact, but equally, like, you know, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you should also give people hope. Right. When did you realize as a child that you had cystic fibrosis, that you had a disease that that other people didn't have to deal with? Do you know, it's a really funny question that because obviously growing up, it was such a normal thing for me to have to do all my physio, my treatments, hospital appointments that, you know, I didn't really think about it because I was still keeping up with all my friends in school. Like I was still doing everything everybody else was doing. But, and even more like, so I was determined to be the best in PE and things like that. And, you know, I actually sometimes thought to myself like, is this actually a thing? Like, have I actually got CF or like, have I been like been told otherwise? Which I know is a really weird thing to say, but you know, I actually didn't realise the severity of the condition until I was about 19 because I went through a bit of a hard time in my life and ended up in hospital, and I actually lost 50% lung function in a matter of months, which is absolutely huge when you're used to having an over 100% lung function, and then you go down to 50%, and they can't tell you why. And I think I sat in that hospital bed with all these doctors running about and like not sure how to fix it and I was like wow actually this is something like I actually have to graft and I need to figure out how we can get myself back to you know the way I was living because this is not the way I want my life to look and so although it was a really tough time like I'm so grateful for it because it gave me the wake-up call that I actually needed. Yeah so there are different um, not so much different types of CF, but CF is caused by different classes of mutations and some are more severe than others. Do you know if you have a less severe form of cystic fibrosis than some people? Um, well, I, I have the uh, most common one, so it's double delta 508. Okay. So it's still full, full-blown CF, but I'm such a firm believer that so much of how the body deals with your condition is also down to your genetics, your mum and dad's genes but also the way you view the condition in your mind. Because I'm a firm believer that your mindset needs to be strong, whoever you are. But, you know, when I was in that hospital bed when I was 19, the doctor came up to me and was like, look, so CF has finally got you and you're going to die. You're going to die in a few years. And I kind of sat there and I kind of laughed at him. I was like, 
that's really nice and really naive of you because you don't know me at all. And I'm the kind of person that will fight back and prove otherwise and make sure that I do everything in my power to show that you can overcome something even if scientifically you shouldn't be able to. And, you know, that's exactly what I did. And that's when I drew up my bucket list and started pushing myself through extreme challenges to challenge my mind and my body to prove that even with a condition that technically could kill me, I still can do more than the average person. Is that the moment when you got really into fitness and training or were you doing that before? So throughout my whole life, I've always loved fitness, but... You know, that was the time where I had to start taking it more seriously. So I left my office job and retrained with the fitness industry and then started trying to figure out how on earth I could fix my lung function. I've come down to the conclusion that, you, like anything, you have to work it to keep it, work, keep it at its best. So I figured out what kind of training I needed to do and got help from a lot of professionals. And now I know exactly if I have a lung function drop, what I need to do to try and get it back up. And I hope that by sharing what I do helps other people because, you know, you could save lives by simply adding fitness into your life or certain ways of training. And it's people don't believe the power of it. Yeah. So what what do you do in terms of fitness? Is it uh, what you're what you figured out really helps you so much? Is it different than what you would recommend for someone who doesn't have CF as a fitness trainer? Is it unique uh, in terms of helping your lung function? I mean, kind of, because with CF you have to remember it is a lung condition so you know it all comes down to the way you breathe and how you use your lungs because most of the time when you're just sitting still or doing whatever you want you are breathing using your upper half of your lungs so if I'm helping people with CF or telling anybody um, to try and improve their lung capacity they need to learn how to breathe using their lower airways and as well as even getting to the technique down to using one lung at a time, which I didn't realize that was possible until I started looking into it. And, you know, if you can figure out how to use your entire lung capacity while you're training, so breathing techniques when you're doing your cardio and your strength training, you know, you can really master this. And, you know, I do a combination of both because I believe you need to have a strong, strong body as well as strong lungs because, you know, if anything does happen or you do have, a, have a, drip, a drop in lung function, your body needs to be able to deal with it. So you need to keep everything strong within the same level. You're 27 now. Typically, people with CF need a lung transplant at some point in life. Is that something that you expect you'll need later, but hopefully not soon? Um, do you know what? I am determined to never have to have a lung transplant. Because if I can still keep myself well and keep my lung function high, then I don't see the need to ever have it. Like I've always said, if there is ever a cure, I'd rather it be given to somebody that actually needs it because I can live my life with cystic fibrosis and I can still do all these amazing things and have the most amazing life. And actually, it's CF that's given me my life. So in some ways, if I can still handle it, then I'll stay the way I am. That's really uh, inspiring Thank you. <laughs> for someone who for someone who struggles to to go to the gym and get up and <laughs> given given that I have totally normal lung capacity. Yeah. Oh, that's thank really you inspiring. so much. You have two older sisters. Did your parents have any other children after you were born? No. So I am the youngest. So obviously my two older sisters, they are actually both carriers as well. So if they do want children, then they'll have to check with their partners whether they're carriers. Um, but I think after they had me and obviously with all the complications, I think they decided that they just needed to focus on what they had. How did cystic fibrosis, it seems like until you were 19, it didn't feel like it impacted your life 
that much. Is that right? Like you felt like you could fit your treatments into all of your school activities? Well, yeah, like I was actually really lucky, although at the time, well, I didn't feel it because I don't think you realise what your parents do to you to do for you until you grow up. But my mum and dad made sure that my treatment was done every single day, even if I wasn't wasn't wanting to do it or was putting up a fight for it. And my dad is an avid marathon runner. And so he made sure that I got out, got running, even in the rain, um, to keep myself well, because I think they understood the importance of health and fitness, even if, um, you know, there was, there's not actually that much research, but I think my dad knew that it was important to keep well and keep fit. So, you know, I was lucky, and I think when I got to the age of 18, mum and dad were like, well, we will still force you, because even now, at the age of 27, mum's like, have you done your treatment? But at the same time, you know, it is my responsibility at the end of the day to look after myself. And I'm a firm believer that if you respect your body and yourself enough, then you'll do what it takes to keep healthy. How does having CF impact your life now as an adult? I mean, obviously, your, you know, your life and your schedule is kind of geared around fitness and fitness modeling. But do you have, like, is it very often that you get sick and you have to cancel things or move things around? Or how do you see it impacting your life right now? Of course it does, because I have to get up every single day and do all my treatments. And I have to go to the gym five to six days a week to keep myself alive and healthy. But I've got in such a good routine now that, you know, if I was to get sick and need extra help, like I was in hospital back in September. Um, but I just carried on my life, like, because we were where I am in, in London, in the hospitals, I am allowed to go out obviously around treatment times and things like that so I kept up my fitness I kept up my business because that's the reason I became self-employed is because then I can be totally flexible so if I needed time off I could have time off and if I was fit to work then that's great um so I've just basically molded my life around what I need to do to stay alive and stay well but because I thrive off of doing things that really push you I make sure that every single year I book in extreme challenges to keep myself focused, to keep myself training, and also just to keep my body on its toes because I believe that it's so easy to get comfortable and just sit still and like not push yourself out of your comfort zone. But if you don't push yourself out of your comfort zone, then you're never going to improve. So it's so important to keep finding things that are going to challenge you physically and mentally. What's an example of one of these extreme challenges? I know I've, I've seen a picture of you in, on Instagram on top of a mountain. Yeah, so I've just actually um, summited Mont Blanc. Um, I got back about two weeks ago. And that was probably, to date, one of the most incredible experiences of my life. It was really tough. And although I have actually done Kilimanjaro, which is a thousand meters higher, this was such a technical mountain. Mount Block is the highest mountain in the Alps, is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was so lucky to be able to go and have the experience. And if anyone's interested in pushing themselves on a mountain, that is one incredible experience. And a lot of elements that I didn't even expect to have to deal with. Like what sort of elements did you not expect to have to deal with? So before we set off, we had to learn how to rock climb because there was a 700 meter vertical rock climb um, before even getting to the base. But um, it is quite dangerous because, of the, because obviously you can have falling rocks above you and there's ice involved and you're not actually tethered to the mountain. So it was kind of like you live, you climb or you die. And obviously... It would be a bit of a shame to die that way. So, <laughs> but it was, you know, what I'm saying? I'd be like, oh shit, she died. Yeah. Um, no, um, but, and also we had to learn how to use ice picks. And because there were parts of the mountain that we basically had to 
put our picks into the ice and pull, us, pull ourselves up because the mountain was so steep. And there are things that I have never done in my life. So not only have I had this incredible experience, I've learned some new skills along the way. And, you know, it's things that can never be taken away from me, which is why I absolutely love travel and challenges and finding places where 95% of the population will never go. And the feeling of actually getting somewhere and getting to the top, like it's the mountain that just keeps going. Like you get up one incline and you look up and think, oh my goodness, there's another one and there's another one, there's another. I think we counted like 17 hills or something ridiculous. But, but you stand at the top and it's so beautiful, it's so silent. You just think, oh my God, wow, like this view like is absolutely insane. And I'm so lucky to be standing here. Yeah. And how, so, I mean, I know from, like, I've done Kilimanjaro. And oh, amazing. For me, the altitude was, was hard. <laughs> I did it just recently, last January. Um, but, is, I mean, I imagine having less oxygen in the air is even harder for someone with cystic fibrosis. Or is that not true? Is the amount of oxygen in the air not really uh, a factor? Do you know what? It's funny, isn't it? Because, obviously, nobody knows how they're going to react to altitude until you put yourself in the situation. And when I did Kilimanjaro about three years ago, I didn't actually have any problems. And I kind of got to the top and I, everyone else was sick and had headaches and was um, not feeling great. And I was like, okay, I'm fine. Cool. Like, I did everything the guys told me to do. So maybe that's why. So obviously when I went to go and do this mountain, I was like, well, it is smaller than Kilimanjaro. So I expect I'm going to be okay. And the same thing happened. I was absolutely fine. Like, I felt the same at the top of Mont Blanc as I do at sea level. Uh-huh. and everybody else had so many bad symptoms and I was like, it kind of freaked me out I was like, am I okay? but then having thought about it I was like, well maybe because my lungs are so used to having to adapt all the time to different situations that it just adapts easier to altitude I'm not saying that everybody with CF would have this kind of situation or find themselves in that way but, you know I feel really lucky that I'm able to do all these amazing things without actually having a problem other than tiredness compared to people that have like really bad headaches and feeling sick and like one of the guys even lost a vision in one of his eyes because of the altitude which is absolutely insane so you know I know that my body deals very well with altitude so I'm really lucky that I can kind of go and do these things and know that my body's going to cope that is really interesting I wonder how much yeah how much is fitness or just like you said your lungs that are just used to adapting um you know maybe you just do better than people like I, w- I wonder if, if if you know other people who have CF who've done something similar there's probably like a very small group of people to compare to <laughs> yeah I mean I'm sure fitness does come into play as well like I'm sure that's a big thing because um, I am forever running about and doing whatever but you know it would be quite interesting I think when I did Kilimanjaro I think I was the second female to summit Kilimanjaro with CF which is crazy to think and I'm sure there's probably been people that attempt it since but one of my friends who does have CF, he tried to attempt it and he only got to Stella Point. And the doctors turned around and said to him, like, you can't summit, which obviously, as you know, getting to that point and then not being able to walk that extra hour is absolutely gutting. Yeah, yeah. Stella Point is like, you're almost to the top, but not quite at the tippy top. Like you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's what should be the last part that's easy, although I remember for me, it was still not that easy because I wasn't feeling great because of altitude, you know, it was like, it was like tough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Professionally as a fitness trainer, do you work a lot with people who have cystic fibrosis or um, mainly with people who don't have cystic fibrosis? Uh, my one-to-one face-to-face client base is people without CF because most people aren't aware that people with CF actually can't meet due to cross-infection, which is really sad because it's one of those conditions where if you could have support from somebody else, it'd be really helpful. Um, 
people with CF like text a lot, right? Or I'm thinking like pre-social media that there's like a lot of communication not <laughs> in person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I try and help as many people as I can do online and which is why I'm trying to build a big social platform because I think, you know, if we can all get together and help each other and I get so many messages from people being like, oh my God, wow, I didn't realize fitness did so much or like, how can I get into this? Like, I want to try and improve my health. And, you know, that is so powerful because even if I could manage to save one person, that would just be amazing. So you're 27 now. You grew up definitely with the internet and text messaging, but it's it's kind of new for iPhones and social media to be so accessible. Has that really changed the way you communicate with other people who have CF? Oh, 100%, because I think without social media, you know, people with CF wouldn't be able to even connect with each other at all, because how would you find them? Because if you think about it, CF is known as an invisible illness because you can't see it. So unless I told you, you would never actually know that I had it. So, you know, I think when social media is used right, it can be so powerful because, you know, you can help so many people, you can talk to people. And without it, and without it being so accessible, you know, how would you even know? So 100%. And I've even had a few people messaging me like, I've never actually spoken to somebody else in CS because... I don't know anyone or we live in a country where there's only a couple of people so how would I connect or you know so you know if it's used right then yeah I think it's great and we're really lucky to have it but I think it can also be quite dangerous to some people because you know they may see things or make them feel bad or whatever but this is why I think it's so important to only have people on your social media that you believe are going to have a positive impact on your life. Right I I imagine just it's also possible just to see it's pretty normal for people to share updates related to times in the hospital and not doing well um which is definitely part of the cf experience for for most people but in your case you really focus on sharing more positive positive encouraging (laughs) images oh yeah 100 percent. obviously like i try and keep it real like if i am in hospital or like times like that i do share it because i think that's important too but you know, I'm a firm believer that in every negative situation you find yourself in, there's a bigger positive message and it always happens for a reason. So, you know, and also remember, like, time passes and, like, periods of, you know, downtime or being feeling less happy do pass as well. So I think it's all about perspective and trying to get your head into the right mindset and thinking, yeah, I don't feel great, but it's okay because that time will pass. Or what am I going to do about it? Like, what am I going to do to make myself feel better or happy or make my life better? But, and I realise, you know, I'm a naturally more upbeat, positive, kind of excitable person. So it's easy, I guess it's easier for me to kind of turn situations around than it is, say, people that are generally more pessimistic. But I'm hoping that by me sharing what I'm doing, people can think and be like, oh, actually, Soph's doing it, so what can I do? What do you wish that people... Um, in the general public or what do you wish that doctors knew about cystic fibrosis do you know what so it's interesting so when I was 19 the doctor that turned around and said to me um, that you know CF was going to take hold of my life he has more recently turned around and said to me you know what Soph thank you and I'm sorry and how can I how can you help me because I turned around and said to him you know, I understand that because you're one of the top consultants, you're going to be involved with a lot of the sicker patients. But I think you need to start giving them hope. And also, you need to research into how fitness can help them. And obviously, when I turned around and got my lung function back up to 100%, I went to him and said, this is what I've been doing. I hope you can apply it to other people. And he then avoided me for a while because he, I think he was knew that he was kind of wrong and didn't give it a chance. Because I think if you think about it, 
some of the old school doctors literally they learn from the books and then they relay the information rather than being open to different methods or being more flexible mm-hmm. and you know now he's actually referring people to me to help them with their fitness because he knows that I've done it for myself so what works for me may work for somebody else with CF and I think that's a pretty powerful thing yeah since you can't work with people with CF in person how do you do that do you do it online yeah, so um, I train a series on a lot of online clients and tailor plans especially to their individual CF needs depending on where they are in the fitness um, journey and you know how their lungs are and how I, how I feel like they're going to cope with different situations. So you know, I'm really happy that I can help people in my own way. I also share workouts on my Instagram in the hope that you know, some people with CF or without CF vision can do them and it will help them with their fitness. But I think by speaking out and just sharing, even like, because I'm a firm believer that you should always speak out about things, and especially things that are seen as less perfect or things that are more, people are more self-conscious over because you just don't know who you could be helping by just sharing your story. And, you know, I even had someone message me the other day saying, hi, so I've been following what you've been doing on Instagram, been doing some of your workouts, and I've improved my lung function to 75% from 30%, which means I would no longer need a lung transplant and I can have a normal life. And I think that is so powerful. Wow. It's interesting what you you say about, um, you know, doctors and being open to things. I feel like just in medicine in general, just uh, for people who don't have cystic fibrosis, just nutrition and exercise really isn't a big part of patient-doctor conversations usually. And I think often doctors feel like it's it's not really realistic to ask someone to um, exercise differently or eat differently, that patients won't do it. No, I completely agree. <laughs> so, because you know what? It's really yeah. appalling. I don't know what happens in the US, but in England, people with CF are basically told just to eat everything they can and to try and get the calorie intake. And I think that's absolutely crazy because educate people into what they need to eat to help fuel their bodies. Because... At the moment, they're just being told to eat calories, eat high sugary foods, and I'm sure that if, if you take everybody, like the people with them without CF, if you made them eat a high sugary diet compared to a highly nutritious diet, you'd feel so different. So why not educate people from the start on how to look after their bodies and what foods will help their lungs and inflammation within their body? Because I know for myself, like from then re-educating myself and what I would then thrive off of, my body's so different, my energy levels are different, my CF is better. So what I don't understand is how the nutritionists that work in the hospitals turn around and say, oh, just eat because you need to eat, rather than you need to eat these foods because of X, Y, and Z. And actually, in turn, your health will be better anyway, which could mean that you'd need less medication, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think the power of nutrition is so big, and I think people underestimate it so much. Yeah. Do you feel like your lung function, is that mostly related to your exercise, but then your overall health impacted by your nutrition? Or kind of how do you feel that those two elements uh, really play a, play a role in keeping you feeling relatively healthy? Do you know what? They are, I think they are so linked because if I eat better, then I train better. And if I train better, my lungs are better. So in turn, if you can do both, obviously we are human. So within reason, obviously, you know, we all love to have naughty food or sugary snacks or whatever. But you know, if predominantly most of the time you can eat really well and you can train really well, then your health is going to be better. And that means that if I can train harder, my lungs are better, which means I can do more with my life. 
So in my head, it kind of makes complete sense to eat really well, train hard, but also have that element where you enjoy yourself because at the end of the day, like, you've got to look after your mental health and your physical health in, t- in turn together. But equally, if you eat better, mentally you feel better anyway. So, you know, if you eat really well most of the time, you then, when you go out the weekends with your friends and family or whoever, you can then enjoy it and you can feel good about it because you feel good anyway. So for me, I hope that, by, especially with my clients, that I can get that across because I think unless you've actually given yourself a chance to eat really healthy for a period of time, you don't realise the difference you feel compared to when you don't eat healthy. So, like, I know what it's like. Like, if I've had, like, a bingey weekend, like, for example, like, it was my birthday last weekend, so I was like, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm going to eat wherever I like. And when it came around to Monday morning and training, I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm so slow, I feel so sluggish, like, I don't like this feeling. So I think you don't realise the power of what you eat can have such an impact. And obviously, I want to go and have fun. So most of the time, I eat really well, and then when I go out, I'll just have whatever I like because I know that my body's going to be okay and I'm still going to feel good because I've fueled it with what it needs as well. Living a life where fitness is such a big part of it and you're also a pretty public person, what do you do to relax and just when you need time for yourself or maybe you're not feeling so on or or positive, which nobody can feel all the time? Um, so for me, I, I live by the sea, so I love going by the sea, going for walks with friends or on my own or just chilling. Um, but I'll go out with friends at the weekends, so like restaurants and bars and different places. Um, but I love travel, so if I've ever got an opportunity to go, find, go somewhere new, just to relax and chill out, I will. And that's the beauty of it. Like if you can jump on a plane for a couple of hours and go for a long weekend, or even in a car and go for a long weekend, then, you know, just to get away from the busy life, because I think... All of us, especially in the UK, I'm not sure about the US, but we get so obsessed with having to fill all of our time, which is ridiculous because nobody can be busy all the time and still be productive. And I think it's a massive learning curve for me where, you know, actually more sometimes less is more. So if I've got an opportunity to have a less busy day, I will just make sure that I'll get all my work done quickly or the bits I need to get done on that day and then I'll just enjoy the day rather than thinking, oh my goodness, I need to be doing something all the time because otherwise I'm not going to progress. But actually, are you being productive in all of those hours? Probably not. So I've kind of learnt to how to time manage to make sure every single day I do something I enjoy to relax and chill out because I think on the next day you're going to be much more productive. What's one of your favourite places you've, you've travelled to? I imagine Mont Blanc would be kind of top of the list. Um, yeah, Mont Blanc is really up there. Uh, it's just so beautiful and I think it's so different. But one of my other favourite places to go to is Lake Como in Italy. Did you do, I imagine you did a fitness challenge there too, even though it's, it's a weird place that people are usually relaxing. <laughs> um, I actually just went out there for some water sports and stuff. So um, wakeboarding, paddleboarding and things like that, because I love doing that kind of thing. And it is just such a beautiful location to do that in. You really are. Your story is so inspiring. All of the work you do, what you manage to do with your lung function is so impressive. I am a woman on a mission. (laughs) You are. (laughs) On a recent podcast, I was interviewing a genetic counselor who learned that she was a CF carrier during pregnancy. Um, and her husband turned out not to be a carrier, but they were, you know, like uh, talking about the possibility of like, what would they do if they learned they were both carriers and the pregnancy was affected and they, they, the, the fetus did have cystic fibrosis. What would you say to parents who, who know that they're at risk for having a child with cystic fibrosis, they're both carriers, or they've done prenatal diagnosis and they know that if they continue the pregnancy, the child would have cystic fibrosis. What would you want those parents to know? You know what? 
I've heard recently, actually, on that subject, that people are having abortions on the basis that their child has CF. And I think that's really sad because although on paper, yes, it is very sad, but equally, you, it, all the people that I know or have spoken to that have CF have also got the same attitude as me of like, oh, no, I'm going to live and I want to do this and I want to do that. And, you know, to take that, that away from somebody on the basis that of something that might happen is awful because although statistically 41 years of age being the life expectancy you don't actually know whether that's going to apply to that child and actually with medicine advancing so fast now I see that the CF is not even going to be a problem in the future so long as you are doing everything you can to look after it and you know I understand why people might think oh maybe but also look at my life like I've probably done more in my 27 years than the average 27 year old and I plan to do even more in the next 27 30 50 years so I'm actually really grateful for my CF and I'd hate for somebody else to miss out on something on the basis of a what if you have two sisters and you've mentioned that they're both CF carriers do you know how they feel about the idea of having a child with cystic fibrosis I think because they see me and everything that I do I think they're actually okay with it and I think, you know, if it was meant to be, it would be. Obviously, it would be, be a bit more tricky because of me and obviously cross-infection and children and stuff like that. But equally, you know, they see the life I'm living and they, they just see, well, you know, Sophie's doing it. So if we had a child with CF, then so be it. And I'm sure they'd be the same. So you're 27 now. How do you see the next years of your life unfolding in terms of your career and how you're feeling about your life expectancy like hoping like never to have to have that that lung transplant just like what are your plans at this point for the future um, I have some very big plans um they involve a lot of challenges and venture and travel and basically doing the th- things that most people don't do for my career um and you know what like the, the whole life expectancy thing it doesn't even play on my mind because I think you know nobody actually knows when their time is up and I think You've just got to live every single day and you've got to give every single day everything you've got. So, you know, so long as you're making the most of it, like my biggest fear is regret. So, you know, I will make it my priority to never make an excuse not to do something, especially if it's something that I really want to do for the pure reason that I can't be bothered or I'm being lazy or whatever. Because, you know, the biggest thing people think about is, oh, but why didn't I do that? And I wish I had. And I don't want that to be me. So, you know, if I've got an opportunity, I'll grab with both hands and go for it. And I don't see why even, like, this is where I feel really lucky because without me having my CF, I would have never had that kind of perspective in life. So, you know, I hope that, you know, I can encourage other people to live in that way because I think if you can live the life you want, then, you know, looking back, not only would you have some amazing stories to tell, you would also be able to be like, oh, wow, like, I did that and I've done this. Like, like for example, my summit of Mark Long, like, I'm like, wow, like, I've actually done it. Like, what an experience was that? And so CF has given me that opportunity to have that kind of outlook on that. This has been, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye-bye. If you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at greygenetics.com. If you'd prefer to share a written version of your story, we're creating a dedicated place on our website for this too. Reach out to us at the same address, podcast at greygenetics.com. 
If you enjoy listening to patient stories, please take two seconds to rate us on iTunes and consider taking 30 more seconds to leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings and reviews really do help us to reach more people and to share your stories with a broader audience. You can also easily share any of our episodes through social media. You can find Gray Genetics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.